0: in just a few moments we will share in the Lord's Supper and for those of you who may be visiting with us let me just say uh, we practice what's called or what's known as open communion which means uh, you don't need to be you don't have to be a member here you don't have to be Baptist we trust you to prepare yourself there's some pretty heavy language in in one particular part of the New Testament that talks about people who do this uh, and are not prepared Uh, so I encourage you to begin now uh, whatever that may mean for you searching your heart uh, focusing on god focusing where that need may be within your life and inviting christ to be a part of all of you as we move toward that moment a little later in the service for those of you who are also visiting with us we are we began a series uh, earlier this month On the morning, focusing on the Apostles' Creed, that is going back deep into Christian history and using that as a lens, as a way of focusing on particular biblical passages and asking, what is it that we have in common with Christian brothers and sisters all around the world? What's kind of the bottom line? What, what, What do we share together that pulls us together instead of divides us? And on Wednesday night, we've been asking, well, what are those distinctive Baptist beliefs and Uh, those are also being posted on our YouTube channel if you would like to follow along with those if you cannot be with us on Wednesday nights. I don't know why I found this interesting but I did. The first time that Jesus made it onto the cover of Time Magazine was December 17th, 1923 and that is an interesting way to present Jesus. Um, And I also found it interesting that he also appeared on the cover of Time Magazine in 1938 in 1945, and 47, and 50, and 51, and 59, and 64, and 1971, and 1988, and 1995, two times in 1996. His mother was particularly proud of him that year. 98, and 99, and 2001, and 2003, and 2004, and 2006, and I stopped counting then. Wow. It turns out, people really do like Jesus. They don't always like the followers of Jesus. Sometimes we haven't really listened. We haven't really changed. We we, we haven't paid attention. This morning is not about what does Time Magazine reveal about Jesus or, or what does Time Magazine know about Jesus. I don't think this morning is even about who. What is Jesus like? I, I would like to shift it to more of. So, what does Jesus really do? So, let me explain it this way. I think the way we talk about God and the language we use when we talk about God and we talk about the Trinity is very, very important. So, historically, it's interesting how people have approached this kind of topic. So, there's this there's this ancient Greek way of thinking about and describing the gods, plural. And the ancient Greeks use a couple of different approaches that still sneaks its way into our life today. So one, they talked about gods just like humans, only bigger. Whatever humans can do, that's what the gods do. Whatever humans experience or feel, that's what the gods experience or feel. But it's always bigger, it's always larger, it's always more powerful, and in some ways it's always more, dis- more disturbing. It's humans without restrictions. And, and sometimes I still find people talking about God and just, like just a big man, like just, just bigger, just larger, just... More of it. And then sometimes the Greeks used this way, and it snuck its way into Christianity as well, to to talk about the gods or within Christianity, God using this logical approach, this straight line thinking. I'll give you an example. So Christians would say, Well, God is perfect. And if God is perfect, Then a perfect being must have all knowledge, therefore God has all knowledge and understands everything. And and most of you would be very comfortable with that. But it also continued down some other roads, that God is perfect. And a perfect being cannot suffer, therefore God doesn't suffer. And suddenly we have a logical statement that's really not good theology. Because if the cross says anything, it says that God suffers. It's one approach. There's another approach to describing any thinking about God that came in through a Latin influence, and it certainly comes through in our scientific way of thinking. And it's asking questions about how does a thing work and, and, and what makes it tick. And, and when it comes down to, to taking it down to theology, it, it's, it's almost like taking the scientific methodology and just saying, if, if we can reproduce this, if, if I can reduce this to kind of a test tube approach to faith, then I can understand God, or then I can accept God, or, or maybe it comes down to then I can control God. And while I, I certainly have no problem with the scientific methodology, when it comes to theology, where's, where's the faith? Where's the mystery? Where's what we talked about last week? Where, where's the aspect of God that's bigger than I am, larger than I am, and and even different than I am that brings me hope. Which brings me to a third way that the church has used to think about and to talk about God. And I'll just call that a Hebrew approach that goes back to the way the biblical stories are told. That goes back to this ancient Hebrew, this ancient Jewish way of thinking that's a very functional way of looking at things. It, it doesn't seek to make some of these abstract statements about God it never asks if God exists. Instead, it just asks what the God who exists, what does does God do? How's God working within the world? Or or, or what does God even refuse to do? It's an approach that moves from From these abstract ways of thinking to looking at deeds and actions and drawing some conclusions to those. So I want to ask this morning, I want to use this Hebrew way of thinking. What does Jesus do? What did Jesus do? And and what does Jesus do now? Uh, There's a little book that was written by Will Willimon, a Methodist minister and bishop. He, He just titled it, Why Jesus? with a question mark. And this is the way he begins it. Why Jesus? because he's the most fascinating person in the world. Into my life he came, unsought and uninvited, took over and refused to go. He led me into dangerous territory. Only later did I learn this is typical. Though he is one with us, he's neither casually nor promptly known, not because he is arcane, but because he's so very different from us, so difficult to categorize or to define because he is also one with God. You can know him for many years, yet never really know him as well as he appears to know you. He manages to be unfathomable, deep, ungraspable, and yet oddly close, intimate, talkative, and relentlessly relational. Which just this interesting mixture Even as we see the disciples and their story, as it unfolds the story of Jesus in the Gospels, we see them getting it and not getting it. We see them drawn to Jesus, repulsed by Jesus. We see them following Jesus. We see them struggling with what Jesus is saying and where Jesus is leading them. And there are lots of places we could go this morning. And I want to take us back to a text that we looked at some time ago, Acts chapter 10. I choose Acts chapter 10 for this reason. Number one, it's one of the earliest sermons that we have in the New Testament to outsiders. These are not people who have grown up with the Old Testament. These are not people who have grown up with the Mosaic Torah. These are not people who have grown up with the idea of one God who created all. So it's an interesting sermon where we have Peter giving the story of Jesus in this very tightly constructed sermon. Or if you want to look at it another way, it's a beautifully short sermon, which is not what you are getting this morning. Acts chapter 10, and Peter began to speak to them, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, which is what Jesus has been trying to teach them all along, and finally the light bulb goes off for him because he is now at the other place. He has been invited through a series of events, including this incredible vision that he has, and he is at the home of a man named Cornelius, who is not Jewish, he is Gentile. He is a member of the Roman cohort. He is a member of the occupying military force in the country in which they live. And he is a God-fearer, a God-seeker. He has been praying. He's been trying to do the right things. And together, God has now worked to bring them together, and Peter says, oh, oh. I truly understand. I've learned something now for the first, I I get it now. I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every people, anyone who fears him and practices righteousness is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. We'll return to that. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, But to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That is the word of God for the people of God, and right about that time, the Holy Spirit falls on all of these outsiders who are now insiders. And the Apostles' Creed begins, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe, a Latin word, I, I feel in my heart something important something big, something life-changing. And the second statement is, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. I I feel in my heart that there's a connection, there's a reality, there's something that's life-changing there. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. So in just a brief moment, how would you describe Jesus? How would you do that over lunch with a friend? How would you do that standing in the backyard with a next-door neighbor? It's kind of the option I had this morning. How do we do that? Well, let's try it this way. When I think about what Jesus did, which is a way of describing who Jesus is, I, Jesus was this incredible communicator, but he refused to manipulate an incredible communicator but he refused to manipulate and so jesus loved to tell these stories that would pull people in and somewhere along the way in those stories there was a twist there was something that would shock them there, there was something that was uh, unacceptable within their life within their culture within in the way that they related to each other and always Pushing, 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 communicating about the kingdom of God, the rule, the reign of God. And so he'll say, there's this guy and he's going from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among thieves and they beat him and they stripped him and they left him for dead. And religious people went by, did nothing. Maybe they had important places to go. Maybe they had important responsibilities. Maybe it was a lot of things on the to-do list. Maybe they've seen it so many times their hearts are hardened. Maybe they're used to driving by, used to walking by, used to seeing it on the news and they did nothing. And the unacceptable part, the shocking part, the unclean part, the the Samaritan. And we all have to decide who that is, who, who we don't want as our next door neighbor, who we're absolutely sure has no concept of who God is, who we're very sure God is never going to be able to reach. Who is that person for you? And that's the person who stops and does the right thing, the godly thing. That's the, and Jesus just turns it all around and communicates to them. This this is what I'm talking about. This is what's going to happen when God is finally in charge, when God remakes creation because God has not given up. And this is, these are the kinds of people God's looking for. Or he says, you want to know what the kingdom of God is like? There's this widow She communicates a lot of things in the first century world, no one to stand up for her, no voice, no resources, someone who's easy to take advantage of, someone who's easy to ignore, and she goes to a judge and she keeps demanding justice. Jesus uses a phrase that says when the judge hears her over and over again, the judge says, I'm afraid she's going to give me a black eye. She is just in my face all the time. And this judge, who Jesus describes as, he doesn't fear God and he doesn't care about anybody else. No social media then. Because she just keeps asking, he gives her what she needs. And it's one of those great stories where you realize how Jesus is communicating and he says, look, if there's someone in your life, in the world in which you live, who responds to someone in need, not because it's the right thing to do, not because this person cares about justice, not because this person cares about righteousness, not because this person is moved by people who are being taken advantage of, just because she keeps asking, don't you think your heavenly father hears when you pray? Don't you think that God knows what you're feeling and what you are experiencing? And Jesus refuses to manipulate. And in that moment, it's in Luke chapter 14, where he realizes so many people are listening now. So many people are following, but they might not get it. They don't see just how deep it is. He turns to the crowd and he says, let me be clear. If you're going to follow me, you take up your cross. And you follow me all the way. And he isn't saying, oh, your cross is that you've you've married the wrong person or you've got a job you don't like. In the first century, the cross meant one thing and one thing only. And it's a terrible way to die. And he says, you want to follow me? Let's be clear where this is going. Let's be clear what this is going to cause. Because God is going to change the world. not going to be easy. Jesus is this incredible communicator about the kingdom of God and about what God is doing, but he does not manipulate these individuals who come to him. And let me just add another twist to this. Jesus is this incredible transformer, but he will not overpower people. He will not force it. He will not do that. And so he walks into a town and there's this man who's known as a sinner. He has taken advantage of the people around him. He collects taxes for the enemy, the other side. And they're known for taking more than was needed. They're known for getting rich off of other people. And this man, Zacchaeus, wants to catch a glimpse because everyone has hope. The people we've given up on. The people we've written off, the people we've said God is beyond them, and there he is, just one glimpse, climbs up into a tree, and of all the places, all the people, all the moments, Jesus stops underneath that tree and looks up and looks him in the eye and says, come down, Zacchaeus, because I'm going to your house to eat. I heard it just last week, a group of Christians who were cutting off any fellowship with another group of Christians saying they don't get it and they're wrong they're wrong and we cannot be associated with them it will be guilt by association which is exactly what the Pharisees said about Jesus doesn't he know that they're sinners doesn't he know who these people are? Doesn't he know who these people are that he keeps eating with and having dinner with? Doesn't he know that he is now a sinner too? He is now guilty by association just by being with them. And is that what we've become? Have we become the Pharisees of the 21st century? Ravish my heart, John Donne said, and Jesus will not ravish. He will only court. And so a rich man comes up to Jesus, what do I have to do to be saved? That's a good Baptist question. Had a young man come up to me one time who said, what's the least that I have to do to get to heaven? Isn't that a fascinating question? He said, I don't want to kill myself doing it." Isn't that, that's incredibly honest. He, he asked what many adults were trying to figure out, yeah. I'll let you decide what to tell him. What's the least that I have to do? What do I have to do to be saved? And Jesus gives him very simple words to respond. Go, sell, give, come, follow. Go, sell, give, come, follow. Go, sell all that you have. Give it to people who really need it. And come, come. And follow me. And he walked away. Jesus will not manipulate. Jesus will not overpower. That's in Mark's gospel. It's in chapter 5. And in one of those rare moments, Mark writes, and Jesus looked at him and loved him. And he let him walk away. And he will let you walk away. He will let you run away. He will let you. In just a moment, we're going to remember, we're going to remember the life of Jesus. We're going to remember the message of Jesus. We're going to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. And we're going to embrace the hope Of the resurrection. I invite you to remember what does Jesus do? You say it's impossible and Jesus says all things are possible. And you say I'm too tired and Jesus says come to me and I will give you rest. You say nobody really loves me and Jesus says I love you. You say, I can't go on, and Jesus says, my grace is sufficient. You say, I can't do it, and Jesus says, you can do all things through me. You say, I'm not able, and Jesus says, but I am able. You say, I can't forgive myself, not for what happened, not for what I did, and yet Jesus still says, I forgive you. You say, I'm afraid. And Jesus says, but I haven't given you a spirit of fear. You say, I'm worried and I'm frustrated. And Jesus says, cast all your care on me. You say, I'm not smart enough. And Jesus says, but I'll give you the wisdom that you need. You say, I feel all alone. And Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. You say, I can't manage it at all. Not anymore. And Jesus said, I will supply all your needs. So we invite you. Come to the table. Take a deep breath. Remember what Jesus does. I think that will point us in the right direction. Let's pray. And so Lord, we ask for just a few moments, would you help us to just rest? to let it go, to walk away from some of the frustration and anger, to grant forgiveness and grace to others, to let your love wash over us. Will you help us to remember your words of love, hope, and guidance. And that there you are. Even in the moments when we've walked away. There you are. There you are. Would you take your cup? Very carefully peel off that top layer. Don't take it yet, but just peel it off and get that little piece of bread ready. There are churches that talk about the cross and there are churches that talk about the kingdom. And yet the gospels give us both. Thank you for being a church that does both that is there are churches that talk about the kingdom of god and they embrace the life of jesus that fed people and healed people and 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 spoke up for people and found the lost and the lonely and and brought to them the good news of the kingdom of god and there are churches who forget that part and they focus on the story of the, the death and the resurrection of jesus and the offer of forgiveness and salvation and the hope of eternal life. It's not easy to be both. Thank you for being both. So for just a moment, let's embrace the teaching of Jesus about the kingdom of God. Would you close your eyes for just a moment? Where is God going to take you this week? Would you ask God to open your heart? It might be a family member, it might be a new friend in your class at school it might be a neighbor and you've told yourself i I really need to know i I need to go and get to know that person and introduce myself It, it might be a stranger when you turn the corner as we share in just a moment in bread in life in the body of jesus Will you ask Jesus to open your eyes to the possibility of what it means to follow him this week? For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that's given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us share together. Would you very carefully take off that foil wrapper? That's a sound we now associate with the Lord's Supper. Together, sharing. And before, hold on, we'll, we'll do this together. And now let's, let's think about the other side. The cross. The struggle of Jesus at Gethsemane. The anguish, the betrayal, the loneliness, the pain, the hours, the darkness, the life, the hope given to us. In the same way also after supper, taking the cup, Jesus said this is this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me with grateful and thankful hearts let us share together I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. That's the second statement in the Apostles' Creed. It's the first time we have a plural pronoun. It kind of jumps off the page. I believe, singular, I, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Lord. I, I like I like that it changes. I like that it suddenly brings all of the church together. And in that context, it was a dangerous statement. Those first century Christians, those first followers of Jesus, who were often said, you have to choose. You either offer sacrifice, burn this incense, and say Caesar is Lord. No. Jesus is Lord. That's why I'm here. And so for just a moment again, we hesitate and we say, what is it that's asking for control of my life? What is it that's coming from my culture or from my neighbors or from my family? And in this moment, I get to say, wait, wait, I am following Jesus first of all. And that becomes the lens by which I watch the news. That's the lens by which I read the Bible. That's the lens through which I decide how to respond to my neighbors, my co-workers, people in my classroom. This is the bottom line. Our Lord. If you have not invited Christ into your life, we give you that opportunity this morning or if there's a decision that you have made that you would like to share with the body of Christ, we are on this journey with you and we give you this opportunity as once again we express our love to our Lord. Will you please stand as we sing?